Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 223. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Selena Gomez and Nat Wolf of L.A. from Behaving Badly 2014, Jesse and Alex. <laughs> All right, so which one's which? Let's be real. <laughs> Jesse is 100% Selena Gomez. I was going to say, all right, as long as we're all on the same page. There's no, I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. It's so natural. Yeah, yeah that's nope. an easy one. Yeah. Nat Wolf? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know me. who that is. Who's Nat, Nat Wolf? Nat I know, Wolf. Yep. Two Fs. I know who, I know his, I know what his face is. He was in, he was in the, the live action Death Note. Yep. So his career that's really me. took off. He's just like me. Who cares? Because I'm Selena Gomez. No, he's just like me. And that's great. Yeah, so. you're hot. And yeah. that's good for you. Yeah. Congratulations. You've Damn. always been hot, Jesse, though. You've been the hot one of the podcast since the beginning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Come on. Everyone knew if that. You can see your hotness live in action. In yeah, just every day. Every day. I look like. Well, okay, well, let's, look, let's promote something here. Uh, tomorrow, as when this episode goes live, should be Saturday. Tomorrow, on Sunday, October 15th, we'll be doing a live show at Telegram LA. If you're listening to this in like Chicago. It's far too late for you to it's travel, but hey, we'd love there. to see you. Just Unless picture this. Just, pic- just picture this. You're a you're a an enlightened individual living in Los Angeles. You're already signed up for patreon.com slash pod. You got nothing going on on Sunday the 15th, two days after the most unlucky day of the year. Backwards Halloween. That's a that's an enchanted weekend. Right? Okay. Yeah. You got nothing going on. It really is Friday the 13th, huh? You're within driving distance of the Terragram ballroom. Right? I mean, if yeah. In this hypothetical, you are, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this hypothetical, you're right there. If you live in and LA and you're one of the 10 million people who do so, what are you doing not coming to the show? That's what yeah, he's right. saying. I'm That's saying, what he's saying. I'm saying, what's a night out besides going down to the Terragram ballroom and listening to us try and shut down Mathis? Before he sexually assaults the entire audience's ears. Hey, wait, hold, hold on now. I'm very careful about what I say mostly. That is, that is a lie. That is, <laughs> you've never lied more than that. <laughs> Maybe I'll go for the alien costume again and it'll last longer than 30 seconds. I hope it does. Honestly, that was one of the funniest things that I've ever seen in my I'll life. I'll buy it again. I'll buy it. I'll buy one every Halloween and somehow it just gets broken every time. Or <laughs> you could dress up in black and orange for the Jesse Cox <laughs> black and orange party. It's orange because Jesse's a redhead. Oh, I was going to say Halloween, but like, you know, yeah, hey, you know, it works. Redheads just wear black. No, I'm going to get an orange shirt. Jesse- I'm going to actually go out and buy an orange. I've never owned an orange shirt. I'm going to get an orange shirt. Listen, I'll add a new reward to the 10,000 tier right now is if you d- donate, I'll, ju- I'll dye Jesse's hair blonde. What? No, I'm all right. Yeah. No, it's not. It's good. You'll be asleep. You won't know. No, it's fine. No, I'm, I'm all right. We can negotiate. No, it's okay. I'm fine. I mean, but the thing is, it has to be someone unwilling, which is why they would be paying so much money. Okay. Now we're getting now. Cro- no, yeah. it's not, no, I'm all okay. Right. Please come to our show in Los Angeles <laughs> tomorrow. You listeners who live in Los Angeles already, and you got nothing going on. It's at the Terragram Ballroom, ChiluminatiPod.com. Is that where you buy tickets? Uh, Ticketmaster. It'll be a link below. Link in the show notes for the tickets. Patreon.com slash ChiluminatiPod. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, I couldn't think of a better sell. That was better than that. Boys, it doesn't matter what's happening in LA because we're about to leave Earth entirely today. Are you ready? Oh, damn. Whoa. Where are we headed? We're heading where else? 
but Lanulose. Lanulose. In the second 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 world named by J.R.R. Tolkien. Very similar. Uh, yeah. yeah. In the second and final part of our dear story about Woody Derenberger, the man who met in, met injured cold, developed close friendship with him, visited. Well, we'll see today. Visited his planet and among other things. And while last week was a, uh, a pretty believable beginning of the story, I would say, with a kind of a, a weird abduction story, he talked to a lot of people. It, today, we kind of jump the shark. And here's where I question where if, if there if this actually did happen or if Darren Berger is starting to pad the story for unknown reasons. Um, I don't know what his motivation fun. would be, but yeah, it could be just fun. Uh, regardless, it is a fun story, and uh, we'll see if uh, what Sweet you guys think. Because vibes, coolness, like yeah. the, content, like he did it because it was cool. It was fun to like, you know, make up a story, like the power of fiction and imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah everyone knows that. We only, talk, we only cover true stories here. Truth on on a uh, Chiluminati pod. Truth, the news, the news, journalism. Yeah, journalism. That's what we are. We're journalists. All right. uh, patreon.com slash I'm, I'm not gonna say that <laughs> I'm not gonna say, I don't want anything to do with this <laughs> patreon.com yeah, yeah. slash we are three dudes talking with zero credentials I don't want to be involved in setting us up for something more Okay. okay. Well, all right. Let's don't don't put that on me. Where we left off was last time our dear boy Woody came home from traveling from work only to find injured cold and his buddy Carl on the back porch where they spoke for a couple of hours in detail about what Lanulos was like, his life. Remember, we learned about um, uh, injured cold's children uh, and all that good stuff. And then at the end, he offered to take. Uh, Woody on the ship and show him the planet. And at the time, he said, "Man," and then, and then he said, "Well, what's the matter, Woody?" And he said, "Lanulos sounds so great. I just wish that I could, you know, <laughs> go there. I would and just like, like to go there." Yeah, and he's <laughs> like, "Well, I'll tell you what, Woody. There's room in my spaceship for you right now. So come what? with me, and we're off to Lanulos." And Woody said, "No, thank you. Actually, he actually what? passed on that first offer. Uh, he was like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do it." Uh, and he left and he immediately regretted it. He immediately was like, I wish I had went. I wish I had gone seen Delanulos. And what do you know? Just two days later, as he arrives home from work, guess who was waiting there? Anywhere between 1030 and 11 p.m. As she says, who else but Indrid and Carl Ardo? We learned his last name. Indrid Carl, Carl. Yes, Woody. We wanted to take you to Lanulos. <laughs> we sensed your hesitation. Is that, yeah? Yes, um, sure. No, no hesitation. Uh, they just wanted to come back and talk. It was another two hours of hang a hangout, a bro sesh on the back porch of injured cold and Carl <laughs> chatting it up, man. Why? Are, what are they into? What is going on? This is like a Neil Gaiman. Do you think they yeah. came? You think it's like when you go on vacation sometimes and you think you're going to have a good time, but like the place you went to is kind of boring. Like it looks nice and the weather's good, but like there's nothing to do. So you're just kind of like, I guess I go hang out with the locals. This is like when Sandman and death fall in love. I had the opposite where it didn't look nice and the weather was terrible when I went and visited Jacksonville, Florida. How was that? Well, I mean, that's terrible. Yeah, I mean, that's Jacksonville, Florida. Did you vibe out with any alien beings? I mean, if the crackhead down the street was an alien being, then uh, for a few seconds I did. Was he cold? I didn't touch him. Oh, was he injured? Was he injured? He was in something. <laughs> he was injured was and cold. Was he injured cold? <laughs> injured he was not injured cold, cold yes. but he was injured, <laughs> injured and cold. Injured cold? Yeah. <laughs> and now it's suddenly very, very sad. 
Um, but after a few hours of them shooting the shit around, you know, one or 2 AM, it was time for Carl and injured to head out. And like last time, our dear boy, Woody walked him out to the ship. Like a gentleman. I don't like the wait. So I wait. I still don't understand. <laughs> Why did they're just <laughs> so they what? came? So they're like, "Hey, man, what's up? Hey, hey, hey!" Yeah, they were already at his house waiting so, for him. So he's like, he "Oh, you guys came back." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's vibe out. Let's vibe out. Let's vibe out." All right, so you want to go on the ship or what? You want to go on the ship or what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the, like, yeah, they vibe for a couple hours. They talked a bunch. They went. He's like, "All right, I gotta go." Walked back to the ship, and when they got back to the ship, Andrew's like, "Hey, you want to come on and hey. check out the ship?" <laughs> hey. hey. Hey, 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 kind of, you know, hey, do you want to? And this time Woody did not pass up the chance and he said yes. And so he boarded the ship that injured Colden flying all this time and was shown through the entire ship with the exception of one area, the back compartment of the ship. When they were getting ready to leave, he was standing just inside the door when a small blue panel glowing with a pale blue light around shoulder height just kind of lit up and actually made him jump. He quickly took his hand cautiously and laid it on the light just to see what would happen. And as he did that, the door shut super quick, which scared the crap out of him for some reason. And then he immediately apparently had the thought of like, oh, no, they're going to take me away whether I want to or not. In which, of course, Indrid laughed. And since he's psychic and can communicate telepathically, (laughs) said, no, I'm not taking you anywhere. Not unless you want to. At that point, Woody was like, well, what closed the door? And Andrew was like, you press the button, you idiot. You touch the button, the door opened, closed. And when he goes to press it again, the door opened again. You know, he scared himself. He immediately was like, oh, spooky. This is like a fucked up, like, American version of Doctor Who, where instead of, like, exploring the boundaries of science and physics and history, they just, like, vibe out. And then he like shows him like his dank shit in his room. Yes, like, that yeah, yes, that's kind of the vibe. He's you like, get. "Hey, Absolutely. man, what's up? You want to see this light, dude? Check out this door, man. It shuts super quick, man." And this is like nineteen seventy-six or five. But yes, that's the, that's the vibe I get so as well. Goofy. It's amazing. But when the door opened and Andrew was like, "Hey, do you want to come out and fly with the ship this time?" The Woody was like, mm, "I'm good. I'm not." What is do it. going on, Woody? <laughs> He's like, I, "I don't want to. I don't want to." And so he freaking got out and uh, left for the night, only to be contacted again the next night by Indrid. Was like, "Hey, I know you're coming back from Ravenswood, West Virginia, right now from work. Are you down to vibe out with me and my buddies on your porch for a few hours and sip some beers down, or what?" Exactly that. Except he's like, "Listen." We're not going to be at the house this time. If you want to come on the ship, uh, when you get to the right exit, I'll tell you when to take the exit and I'll direct you to where the ship's hanging out and you can come on the ship. And uh, that is, for whatever reason, the two like porch sessions were a big no go. But for this, Woody was like, let's go. So he drove on the highway uh, until he reached Route 21 around 6 p.m. And that's when uh, Indrid kind of messaged him to take uh, the, the uh, take a right off of the highway and told him that when he would continue driving, when he reached the spot, he would be told. Uh, once he pulled off the highway, he pulled up into a place that was being graded for new road. And Indrid's ship was just sitting there. He parked his truck, locked the doors and once again entered the ship. And Indrid, waiting for him there, told him then that any place on Earth that he wanted to go, Indrid was, would take him. That's like, he's like, I've been waiting to take you on a trip forever. Like, you, I know you've been wanting to check out the ship. Where do you want to go on planet Earth? We will go. If you're like, 
Okay, put yourself in this man's mind, a 1974, like, middle-aged, just working guy. You walk up onto a ship, and an alien that you've been talking to for a couple of months goes, anywhere on planet Earth, where do you want to go? Go. What do you say? Tokyo, Japan. Let's go. Bang. Dude, that's what I would say, too. Let's go to Tokyo. Even though it's not, like, Tokyo as we know it yet. but It would be the wildest culture shock of all time. It would be. Jesse just looks fucking baffled. I guess I, I mean, I guess I don't understand why this alien's like, yo, hey. I can take you anywhere on planet Earth. Where would you want to go? I'd be like, the moon, bro. Oh, just hold on. Hold take on, me to Jesse. Mars. You're jumping ahead of the story. We start <laughs> well, you on Take Earth. me to anywhere on Earth. I'd be fine. Take me be to the gracious. Take me to the so- South Pole, the exact South Pole. Okay. That's pretty sick. Well, that's actually that's a, a good, pretty cool choice. Yeah, that's a good uh, call. He did not choose any of those. And he even said so in his book that he doesn't know why he said this. He Atlantic just said City, New Jersey. <laughs> no, he just went Amazon jungle. Like, oh well that's pretty good Amazon. that's pretty I mean, much that's, i mean that's all that, right that's, yeah that's a pretty good choice yeah so he's like i don't know why it's just like the first thing that popped into his mind but as soon as he said it not long after he found himself over the amazon jungle he continues how? to say that he doesn't really know how exactly to describe the feeling of in the ship while it traveled there was a continuous vibration in it is what he what he continuously says and it made him feel slightly nauseated which means for me uh, let's hope that the technology has improved since then, because if he's nauseated, I'd be vomiting fucking everywhere if I was on a ship like this. I'm so prone to motion sickness, and this thing's probably moving at 6,000 miles an hour. I am going to be fucking throwing up. Um, but that's beside the point. You know, that's like a little, that's a little detail about my life. And every time he traveled on the ship, he always got nauseous. He never didn't get nauseous because he would end up traveling on this thing multiple times, starting from here. He asked Indrid about the vibration, and he said to, me, to, to him that it was simply the uncontrollable, uh, uncontrolled power. So that sounds OSHA certified to me. It's just the uncontrolled power of the ship causes the ship to vibrate. What the hell does that mean? The uncontrolled power? Yeah, I'm not sure I power. get that. You, I, we do not get an answer. Why is it <laughs> uncontrolled? Yeah, I don't Ominous. know. I have... I have no idea what the answer, like what that means. It's like, being I, like driving the car with someone and then being like, what's that lever called? And they're like, oh, that's the dangerous lever. And you're like, the fuck but you have dang- to push it in order to drive yeah. the car. Yeah. It's part of the, it's part, you have to, if you want to sit in the chair, you got to pull the lever. It's just, it's, it happens to be called, yeah, you the, have to. it's called the danger, it's called the dangerous lever. <laughs> you're like, what? Why? Injured said he mustn't get nauseous anymore because he's so used to it. But for our dear boy, uh, Woody never got used to it. But within minutes, they reached the Amazon jungle, slowed down the ship, and opened the portholes on the windows of the ship so we could take a look. I don't understand. Were they moving or were they like teleporting? What was they going were moving. on? They were moving. Okay. Yeah, okay. it wasn't like a blip and they were there. It was like they move incredibly fast. When he reached the Amazon jungle, they slowed down, opened up the portholes and the windows in the ship. And uh, the windows, he says, have metal covers that slide over the glass windows, which kind of reminds me of like an airplane, you know, the plastic cover that just kind of comes down, but maybe more elegant, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, He was able to look out the windows. And when he did, he could see that they were very low over the uh, they were very low over the Amazon, like hovering a little bit. And he could see towns and villages along the Amazon villages, people walking towns, streets, but they didn't remain there very long. And after he got a quick look at the Amazon, they left. They went directly upwards, and he guesses around 600 miles. Uh, they, they went directly upwards through the atmosphere and ended up somewhere 600 miles below the surface of the moon. Below? What? Wait. What? <laughs> I know. It's what? a jump. It's a jump. They, they hovered over the Amazon for a little bit. He got to see some, you know, people living in the Amazon. And then after a little bit, 
the portholes closed and boop, they went straight the fuck up. And he found what himself do you mean underneath the, the moon. Uh, they, he went directly upward, approximately 600 miles below the surface of the moon. Inside so he, the moon? Yes, inside the moon. Correct. Because so you don't, so you're not saying they went they went up and then stopped six hundred like, like they went up beneath the where the moon was. The moon, They're in the under moon. the moon, un- six hundred miles underneath the moon's surface, like the mole men of the moon. Yes. They're inside the moon. They're inside the moon. You know why they're inside what? the moon? Because that's where they made hell, contact dog. with oh. the mothership. That's where the mothership is being kept. Indrid's mothership? Well, the mothership of Lanulos. One of Lanulos' motherships. Oh, okay. Indrid's mothership? Well, the mothership of Lanulos. One of Lanulos' motherships. Oh, okay. Uh, this is being kept in a, in a, a deep cavern, uh, or at least was at this particular point, 600 miles under the mo- surface of the moon. And uh, Indrid called it the flagship of Lanulos. His ship went directly underneath the mothership and went into a locking berth. B-E-R-T-H. Uh, so, yeah, think of it. It reminds me of like Subnautica. If you've ever played Subnautica, when you take your little uh, sea, sea moth and you dock it with your submarine underneath and it cl- clicks on and pulls it up and settles it. Kind of yeah. like that idea. That's kind of the idea that I, I'm seeing when did you ever play? I know you're not a, like a, a deep water person, Jesse, but did you ever play Subnautica? Oh, I did. Hated every minute of it. Did you finish it? No. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, I got I got to the island that i won't spoil and uh i found out the like plot twist but no i did not i didn't finish it okay okay (laughs) yeah once they were inside the the uh mothership there's essentially two portholes like connected some air locking like things connected they both opened and through they were able to walk through a door at the top of the ship into the mothership now and he was being brought on to the Lanulos mothership. All of this without really asking him, mind you. Uh, at least Woody doesn't say he was asked. This dude was like, I want to go see the Amazon rainforest. And in like within 30 minutes, he's under the moon in a flagship without really even asking to be here. He just ended up here. If it was me, I'd be freaking out. But Woody, he's not so worried at all. He walked into the door. He's a the chill dude, of, man. He's, yeah, he's chill. a super he chill dude. He loves to vibe out, but I guess, dude. He's just like, if you've been having two months of, like, having to move over and over, constantly being attacked by, like, not attacked, but, like, overwhelmed by people trying to ask questions and see UFOs, if we take this as true, and he did go, maybe it's a nice getaway. Maybe this is like, ah, it's oh, getting away from all the he's, chaos. Yeah, he's the just nine chilling. To five. You know, you get to go see Lanulos' flagship. The worst part is, no one's going to, at work, is going to believe you, so you're going to lose pay for that day. Like, it's going to happen. I don't need to go to space. Where man. were you? <laughs> I was on Lanulos. Uh, no, you were supposed to be here nine to five, my man. <laughs> you got bills to pay. I don't need to go all the way to space, so that's all right with me. I'm happy to just see an Amazon jungle. That's like another planet to me, man. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, and then he went right, to the all moon. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, once he was on the ship, they uh, the flagship, they made no stops. He was taken directly to the commander of the ship and was introduced to him and the people that served on the mothership, both men and women. And this ship was huge. It was bigger than anything he could possibly imagine that could even fly in the air. It was as big as he, he considered it to be somewhere as big as like a football field and approximately eight or nine stories high. So, you know, fucking enormous. I w- uh, he was taken through a great part of the ship and was shown into the dining room where he ate something that he compared to potatoes. He had lanulose potatoes. Isn't that nice? Lanulatros. Lanulatos. <laughs> Lanulatkas. 
they also had a vegetable for him that resembled some sort of green bean. And he also ate some kind of meat that they called cow tuma and not cow tumor. K-A-U-T-U-M-A. Cow tuma. Cow tuma. And he said that kind of tasted like venison, like a, uh, not venison, uh, like a wild deer, uh, which is, yeah. is that venison? That's venison. Yeah. 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 I was thinking that was a baby cow, but that's a veal. Uh, yeah. yeah. Venison, something close to venison. Um, after he was done eating and filling up his belly, he was what then taking with a specific thing to say. What I a specific know. thing this to say. This is where it gets really kind of strange is what I'm saying. Uh, after he this? had food. Well, okay. Yes. The whole thing is weird. Uh, let's look. Like, I, <laughs> the abduction scenario, even in terms of abduction, or I should say the alien encounter scenario at the very beginning, even in terms of alien encounters is kind of strange because injured cold's like, I bleed like you. I'm a man like you. I'm, I'm just like you. We're friendly. You know, his car never got shut down or any of that stuff. But now we're, we're going into like, I'm going to, it's like that lady who went and visited that, that alien planet and had their child. We talked about her briefly, I think in like sexiest alien encounters episode, Hell yeah. um, kind of reminds me of that. Well, he doesn't get banked, but you know, similar in the, in the friendliness. Get right. Right. Banged. I mean, like very right, similar. Right. Right. right, right, right. Get yeah. banged. He doesn't get, banged. get, he doesn't banged. get banged, dude. Is that like, I'm showing my millennial by saying that out loud, <laughs> like getting he doesn't banged. Get banged. It just, you, it like automatically puts a puka shell necklace onto your neck somehow. Like, <laughs> it's like a hologram that appears on the webcam. Filter. Oh man. Oh, I wish I had one. Um, after he was done eating, he was taken within about 50 feet of the surface of the moon. So taken above the ground. He's just like sick. Yeah, where he got Hell to just yeah. look at huge craters and huge piles of rocky cliffs. He saw a giant bridge across a great gulf or gully that went into a big cavern or cave. And he was told that there were spaceships parked in that great cavern. So a lot of spaceships are just kind of parking on the moon. Um after he'd been there for just a little while, he does not give a specific amount of time. He's like, I was only there for a short while. The ship's windows were then sealed up again. And injured was uh, an injured told was told that uh, told him that they were going on another short trip. And this time he was taken directly to what uh, we humans call Saturn. Of course, is that don't tell me that's Lanulos. No, it's not. Lanulos. Thanks. <laughs> and, what, and what do they call Saturn? Uh, I don't know. He just specifically says what humans call Saturn. But he's just he's just being like a fucking nerd. Yeah, we don't know. What do he's you like, humans, humans call, call Saturn? Saturn. <laughs> he goes on to say that the whole world was agricultural, which makes no sense. Saturn and, was? Yes. Uh, and he did not see any evidence of a factory of any kind. Indrid later would tell him that their machinery and their machinery and equipment was all shipped to them from other planets. All imported, of course. What? Yeah. Shipped to who? Like, to the moon, to Saturn, like, all that stuff. Okay. Jesse looks baffled. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head around... Look, capitalism stretches through space and time, Jesse. Yeah, all right. Sure. <laughs> When he got there, he could see the rings of Saturn very plainly, and he had read something on these rings back in the past, but he couldn't remember what he read. He just remembered that he read something about rings, and that's all he could remember. Um, he has no idea what caused them, but now he knows. He, he was told the whole planet of Saturn is shaped like a big bowl with the people living inside it like in a valley. The rim of the so-called bowl is covered by ice, and the rings of Saturn are simply rainbows that are caused by the sun shining what? on the ice. 
I mean, that's just factually not true. That's just uh, <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, now we're now I don't we're. Know. In, How would you know? Did you have you been to Saturn, Jesse? Did you I get mean, taken to Saturn? Satellites this, have. This is like when you like pluck somebody's like heart strings and it's like a guitar or some shit. Now, now we're in crazy town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after he got a look at Saturn, they left again. No, they didn't really hang out too long. And this time, they were finally heading to the creme de la creme location. They were going directly to. Uranulos. Uranulos. Oh, yes. Uh, now, where is ne- Lanulos in relation to our part of the galaxy? We don't know because remember, in part the one, uh, Indrid Cold right. said it was in the <laughs> Indrid Cold said it was in the Ganymede galaxy, but Woodrow believed that he was lying for security purposes to the exact location of the security planet. purposes. Why would he lie? Like Just genuinely, why would he lie space for security purposes and chase him yeah. down real quick? Maybe there's other aliens listening in, huh? Maybe he doesn't want like the space spies to catch on to where they. How far do we want to go with this? How far do we want to build out the world for for? Indian You're not going to have to do much work because I'm going to build it out. How does this relate to a you. flat Earth scenario? It doesn't surprisingly. Is it is is Lanulos one of the like other wall circles Listen, or Lanulos does not cross the flat Earth line? All right, Earth is round. Now, if I'm some sort of like alien man and mm-hmm. I am researching aliens, like mm-hmm. it's my job, but I also am a flat Earth believer. Okay, how do I reconcile all of that? And does anyone know? Let me know on Reddit. I would love to know. Like, is there anyone out there who's both really into UFOs and believes aliens come from other places, but also is like those other places, other flat Earth scenarios? Maybe <laughs> the way, maybe the way that other species perceive reality creates round objects where there are flat objects. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Not really, but I'm trying really Keep hard. that third eye wide open, you know what I'm saying? You gotta crack that sucker open. Have we opened Jesse's third eye over 223 episodes? You really have. He can't even picture shit in his head like normal. True. That's true. Yeah, we gotta I, work on that first. Yeah. It's a, it's a talent and you have to shut It's an uphill climb. It is. The only way is if you, depo- if you deposit $10,000 at patreon.com slash pod today. Today? I'll get, I'll get him surgery today. for imaginations. Don't Imagination surgery. Add now. So they left and went to Lanulos. And at the time, uh, he was never really permitted at any time on this first trip to Lanulos to make a landing. And the first time when they got to Lanulos, they were taken down very close to the surface. So like close, he just got a fact. cruise tour, like a yeah, like he a- got a cruise tour. He got real close, so close, in fact, that he could see the people on the ground and he was able to wave to them. And they in turn waved back. They were like, hey, hey, how's it going? Welcome like, to Lanulos. <laughs> Well, they don't know he's not a Lanulosian because they look very human. human, Remember, Uh, so they just waving at them and he got to he got flown over many sittings, many cities or what the Lanulos people call gatherings. If you remember from episode one. Hell yeah. And he also saw huge fields and forests, rivers and streams, people by the hundreds of walking on the streets, farms, machinery being operated on the farms. And he could see what he would essentially call like automobiles, but they had no wheels and seemed to hover over the ground. Hovercraft? Hovercrafts, dude. Someone did get hovercrafts, and it wasn't us. It was Lanulos people. Dude, they Lanulos for a, so sick. Dude, it's, it's a, if they this have is forests, a real place. They call them neighborhoods, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, they traveled a great distance over Lanulos, and he told so many things to, uh, to Woody and showed him so many different things that he kind of was like mind blown. There's just a lot to take in. Remember, the man said Amazon ran rainforest, and got to the rainforest, the moon, Saturn, the Saturn village, and then over Lanulos itself. Um, 
And he told him that like, hey, I'd love to land and take you to Lanulos, but I can't right now because you would need to receive. And this is where we lose the anti-vaxxers again, because he won't permit uh, Woody to jump uh, to, to touch the surface of the planet yet until he gets shots for decontamination, decontamination and immunized against. He's germs like, and this diseases. is the vaccine for COVID-19. He's like, what is that? He's like, don't worry about it for now. <laughs> He's like, don't worry. You guys will. Have, I'll tell you when you you're take older. The vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he goes that basically was like, hey, you could carry germs and diseases to Lanulose or take them from Lanulose back to Earth. It would be an unmitigated disaster. We're not prepared for that today. So you're just going to get a cruise. But next time later, we'll take you to Lanulose properly and you can land like, and talk we'll, with We'll the take people. you to a park or something. We can walk around, get a slice of Gleep Glorp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. Delicious. Remember, they kind of got normal names, though. Indrid's not really normal, but Carl's kind of normal. Carl is a whack name for an alien. And his daughter, that makes Kimmy. makes it sound so sus. <laughs> Carl and Kimmy make it so sus compared to when it was just Indrid Cold. Indrid Cold is like a sick D&D guy. Indrid yeah. Cold has like a secret knife with like a rune in it. Dude, Indrid Cold is the perfect, a perfect character to use in a World of Darkness campaign. Yeah, exactly. Indrid Cold is like from another city. Yeah. A, a, yeah. a troublemaker. But <laughs> Carl and Kimmy, those guys are those guys are among us characters. True. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's kind of too common. It's very weird. Um but it doesn't mean that he didn't get to talk to a bunch of other Lanulosians. Remember, he's on a mothership at this time, and there are a ton of different people on that ship, and he kind of had mixed reactions from people. He could tell immediately that some people had never seen a man from Earth before. There were people that were slightly fearful of him from the very beginning because according to that, to him, that they had heard a ton of stories and, and stuff about our planet and its warring times that were essentially always at war. Always oh, killing they, knew each about, other. they knew about us, huh? Yeah. A lot of like uh, not direct knowledge, but kind of like, you know, rumors about like what Earth is like because Lanulos is super far away. And tell me, Earthman, does your planet have Kautuma? We have cow tumors. Is he saying cow tumor? <laughs> um, yeah, these people were a, very, a little fearful from him from the very beginning because of what they heard about Earth. And Indrid had told them all. Uh, and Indrid had told them all about him in particular, and had told them a great deal of the history of Earth. And they were beginning to understand the people of Earth on a personal level for kind of like the first time. Even though they had been to our planet and had investigated our planet and searched out many things since, uh, according to them, 1947 in Earth years, because that's when the first UFO uh, publicly crashed in Roswell, they still could not understand the human's way of life. They could really like Woody goes on to say things like he was like um, he really and truly could feel the love these the Lanulose people had for each other and even for him, even though he was a perfect stranger of Earth. And that people here on Earth somehow cannot understand or have the feelings of these people that love another people from another planet, even though they're so far away. They are very much like us in almost every respect, except in our way of living with each other. The people treated uh, him with the utmost friendliness, even though they were a little fearful. And they told him at this time, as Indrid had told him before, that if he wished, he could take his family and move to Lanulos, Venus, Mars, or any planet that he thought he would like to live on. What? They're such good friends, Indrid would be willing to move him. Was this written at a time when, like, the planets just, like, there wasn't that much known about them? <laughs> um, 1973, yeah, I would is say that not too up? much is really known. Did people just not know half of them were made of gas, or what's up? <laughs> no, dude, it's like what we perceive, because we don't have the information that Indrid had. Right, right. 
That's why he's so cold, man. Yeah, yeah dude. I'm gonna, yeah. Here's the page I was uh, keeping open for you guys. I want to show you a quick sketch of what the mothership looks like according to him. Uh, at least two of the stories on it. Yeah, he has two floors sketched out. Okay, so that looks like FTL. Yeah. And you can see this is crew quarters here. This is the power. That's what power generated. And then up front, this is the control room over here. And this is all storage here. And it looks like kind of like a torpedo with wings. It looks like so not thought like it's like it does not look like it was designed by somebody who was like trying to be efficient in any way with space or like aerodynamics. It's a really uh, kind of raw sort of very basic. Yeah, very basic yeah. design. I mean, that's kind of like the theme. Like it's a lot of the things he, he even which would really cool. We, we didn't really talk about it um, and we won't because we don't have the time. But he, he even has the intergalactic alphabet for us. Yep. I mean, that checks out. There you go. That's a lot of X's, bro. I don't know. That's like three of the letters are just X, and two of yeah. them are M, bro. I don't know what you're talking about. That's, a, that's an X with a line, and then a regular X, that means F. I, it's, it's, I'm very, it's exciting that they have the same number of letters in their alphabet as we do in ours. Uh, it's, it's very lucky for us. Is it um, like one of those ones where you can just translate it just by like using it like just, a decoder? It's just character, it's just character uh, replacement, it seems. Uh, but again, if if what he's saying is true, uh, Andrew Cold specifically, remember the rumor or their their origin story for how they got telepathy and stuff is they're from Earth first. Like Earth had a huge advanced civilization at some point, left Earth, crash landed on Lanulos, got stuck there. And then at some point, Earth kind of like lost everything. We don't really know. You know, just keep that in mind. Make sure you don't forget the history of our of our planet. Question. Do you think because they were Earth people, but like long time ago Earth people, that's why their science is so off? Yeah, it might be. Like they yeah. just never decided to learn anything new. Like they were like, look, we're several thousands of years old. So like we're kind of stupid compared to you, but we can fly through space, right? That checks out. It's possible. I mean, like, like they were also, remember, they're living on Lanulos. Maybe the physics are different there. I mean, it doesn't explain why there'd be rainbows around saturn but like maybe they're from a different dimension of imagination thought, dude you know like oh. mr Mixy spitlick right like the fifth dimension is ma- imagination bro you know what i'm saying no i mean i know i know exactly what you're saying and i think um it's crazy but yeah, yeah. crazy like whoa that's crazy a fox yeah like digital reality you know what i mean like just are we in a simulation yeah like I don't know. I like these guys, man. These guys, these guys seem cool, man. The Lanulosians? I do, too. Yeah, they, I like they, them a lot. They seem pretty I really chill, hope, dude. There's, I really hope they're real in some fashion, because I would love to go meet them and live on a planet. And in listen, some fashion is my favorite part, because you know, like, yeah, no, they're real. That guy was just a man, like a human male. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to meet a man that just calls himself injured cold and then offers me a drug to go see space. Like, that's but not like, what, that's what that do. was, though. Right? I want I would love that. That would be hilarious. I would be even if it was fake. Never comes back. Even if I just ended up babbling in the back of a bus with no tires on it in the desert. And you thought you were yeah. at the Amazon. Yeah, I'd be like, I saw the Amazon. I saw I went inside the moon. I, the I, went, underneath, I went underneath the moon and people are like inside the moon. And I'm like, yeah. I did go inside. I was the moon. under. I was right underneath the moon. Yeah, that's where the mothership like, was. Inside it? Yeah. No, I was underneath it, though. Under a cavern somewhere, six hundred miles deep. No. So 
Listen, I would love to okay, listen. You like as, as let's just continue because you're, I think Alex, that that vibe of you love these guys is only going to get stronger as, I as we can't learn about. Get them. over it! I love that they're just like check <laughs> so, this out. Hey, look at they're this. They're like space hippies. They're like look right? at this shit. Look at this. Come to our <laughs> so, gathering, dude. Come here. We got organic. You can live. He was like, "Hey, man, we'll take you, and you can go live on Lanulos, Venus, Mars, any planet that basically has life on it. We can bring you to, but you don't have to stay there forever. If you want to come back to Earth at any time, I'll take you back." Like you it's can move chill, there and live dude. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's all up to Matt. It's all it's doesn't so matter. Chill. Um, if he did move to Lanulos specifically, he would be given a position of some sort to earn a living for his family would be taught the ways of Lanulos and learn to live as they did. We'll make and, you a uh, DJ, his... my man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We've got a knack for sick tunes on our drives. So we'll make <clears throat> you a DJ of events. And through all this, he even said that like his family was developing a deeper understanding of love for other people and that he truly honestly th- thinks that after this experience, his understanding of his own people on Earth uh, had deepened so much that he was a changed man. What the fuck were they talking about on those porches, bro? Love, basically, like it's it's what so like if you, it's what's fascinating is the message he's getting from this guy in a much clearer way than any other alien abduction, like the grays, he's still getting very kind of a similar message of like loving each other. He's not saying we're destroying our planet. Like aliens usually grays usually do, but his messages of like loving yourself and loving everybody else and living in peace. And the only thing holding you back as, as a species is the fact that you're too busy trying to destroy each other all the time to make progress. Um, This is legit. If Dr. Who is just like, Wait, because Doctor Who's already kind of a hippie, and I guess he's not. Dude, yeah, called he's, Doctor he's got Who. a Doctor Who vibe. Yeah. Ingrid does. A hundred. I guess he's the Doctor. I don't want to call him Doctor Who and sound like a fucking scrub, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he's he's such a fun. He's like, just here, come here, check this out. Isn't this great? We're all yep. the same. We're all like, the, like, come check out. Like, we're in the we're in this moon base. Like, we look like you. Like, we oh, we have the same customs it- as you. I know you asked what years this was saying. I said 74. No, the 74 is when the book was written. This is all, this is right now, 1967. Dude, it is like the time. It is like Sergeant Pepper's aliens, bro. Listen, if you're in aliens and you see hippie culture pop up, would you also not think this might be the perfect time to try and like get the message of like, stop killing yourselves out there? I mean, yeah. I mean, look, I love the idea that aliens would just come down and vibe out with us. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that's like, if I, like, whenever I see, like, a little life form somewhere, like, if I run into a nudibranch on the shore, or I see a slug in the forest or something like that, and I go chill out with it for a little, a little bit, I always go like, hey, little guy, how are you doing? What's going <laughs> on? Like, where are you? Oh, you need help getting on this leaf? Okay, little guy, hang out, have a good day, right? That's really it. So yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's this. Maybe that's what Andrew Cold is doing. He's going, oh, look, hey, little guy, what's up? What are you doing? What are you up to, man? And he's like, hey, hey look, you want to see, see my ship? You want to see? You want to go up there? Vroom, vroom, up in space, man? You want to go see? Want to go see Lanulos? Kind of the vibes, yeah. right? Like, he just took this random dude who's just like, hey, man, you want to see? I want to learn about you. But, like, think about when we go on a vacation or go to other countries, right? A lot of people like to go see the sites and go see, like, the main tourist attractions. My favorite thing to do is to see, like, what the normal, like streets are like the bar, like a normal place where people go get drinks like to have just to see like what average life in say london would be like or wherever town we're visiting as opposed to hitting you know only being a tourist all the time maybe that's what he's doing maybe he just wants to know what life is like for a normie in the back like just a normal worker and is like yeah you know what i could go see 
Washington, D.C. again. Yeah. Or I could just go out to Parkersburg and like grab some rando worker and really like get an idea of what life is like for these humans. It's also funny because like as an American person abroad, a lot of people want to talk to me about like American politics and like who I think, who I agree with and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and it's funny that they're like, oh, yeah, Earth, huh? How about those wars? How about those yeah, fucking? Really? How about those natural disasters, bro? How about that exploiting the environment, bro? Like <laughs> that's truly it. That's so funny to me. So we got a little look at Lanulos, talked to some people, but eventually he had to be brought home again because he wasn't decontaminated or vaxxed properly for actually visiting Lanulos. But the day would come. And on May 11th of 1967, as he was doing and going on a selling trip to Pomeroy, Ohio, about 35 miles from Parkersburg, uh, where he comes from, he made his second trip to the planet of Lanulosa as injured reached out once again and said, Hey, uh, if you want to come on a ship, I'll be over in this area. Just, you know, just take the directions I give you like last time. And so he took the directions on the road to a place that was about halfway between Reedsville, Ohio and Tupper's Plain, Ohio. And on this road, he was told by injured cold through mental telepathy where to drive his truck. And when he reached that place, he was told that, uh, he was told that the ship was ready and already there waiting for him. And when he uh, when he got onto the ship, he said if he if he wanted to, he would be taken on another trip to Lanulos. So, uh, you know, I guess I'd be I'd be still down. Why I guess. does he have the vibe of like a new edgy friend from middle school? Like what That's I'm saying, like, like it's just a weird vibe altogether. Why is he like, hey, don't tell your parents, but like meet me. Shh, don't let anyone know. Dude, there was a it wasn't my friend personally, but my buddy had a friend that was just his nickname was werewolf. Hell yes. And he wore trench coats and had fucking like butterfly knives all the time. I was just going to say, does he have a knife? Yeah. I, I, yeah, he, yeah. Had, he, had, he always had butterfly knives, wore a brown trench coat. You know, it was that weird dude. Why be does like, werewolf have me. a knife? I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe don't he really like it. him. Maybe he needed yes. Um. So this last time, uh, he well, this time he planned to leave his truck where he had met the, the ship. But one of the men said that the truck was sure to be found where it was. And someone would question why it would be left in such a like a, a isolated area. So the plan was then that Indrid's friend Clinnell, C L I N N E L, right, a man from the planet Serenabus, 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 C E R A N A B U S, Sir in a bus, Sir in a bus, Sir in a bus. <laughs> there is a man inside of that bus, Sir in a bus. So Indrid's cold Clinnell from Sir in a bus is gonna dri- <laughs> he's gonna drive the truck for him. He's gonna bring it back. Uh, to and he would drive the truck back to Pomeroy, Ohio, and park it in the town itself, where it would draw no attention, being left alone overnight. And that's what Clinnell did. He drove the truck back, and a woman by the name of El- Elvane Cletaw drove a. Sorry. Now is this an alien or is this a <laughs> no, that's human with alien. the name Elvane Cletaw? Can you spell no, that that's one? another alien. Can you spell that? It's another alien. Uh, Cletaw? No, Elvane K-L- Cletaw. E L V A I N E. Elvane. Yeah. K-L-E-T-A-W. Kletal. Okay, yeah, all right. Kletal. Kletal. It sounds like the name of, like, a fantasy novel sorceress. Evane Kletal. Think, like, that's a good-ass name. Would you see her in The Witcher? Uh, no, it's not very witchery. It's more like Wheel of Timey. Yeah, it's very, like, Mm, old school. I've never read Wheel of Time. I never, like, I tried to read the first book, just didn't grab me. Uh... I don't know why I'm critiquing Wheel of Time. Because <laughs> <laughs> now so, is the place. This is the time to do yeah, so. Yeah. So as Clinnell drove his truck, Cletaw would drive the Volkswagen that belonged to Clinnell. And when he entered the ship, 
He met Indra They Cole, just learned how to wife. drive Earth cars? Well, they already know. I'm sure they know how to drive. Like, they've, like, taught themselves over years or it's something. It's funny to me. All right, yeah. I know. And this time he met Injured Cold, but not just Injured Cold. This time he actually got to meet his wife, Kimmy. Carl Ardo was there, who was second in Kimmy command. Kimmy Cold? Kimmy. Kimmy was there. Kimmy Ardo? Kimmy with a K or Kimmy with, like, a, like a CQ? K-I-M-I. Kimmy Ardo? No, Carl Ardo is his friend. And Kimmy King Cold, Ar- his wife, oh, Kimmy. Kimmy is, is his- Kimmy is his wife. Carl Ardo, his friend, was also there. Um, and two other men whose names were Tony and Daryl. Tony, Tony and Daryl? <laughs> Tony! Just Tony and Daryl. There's no way on... Look, Tony, Tony! There's no way there's an alien named Tony. But more importantly, there's no way there's an alien named Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> Never have. Tony and Daryl are not... Al- no matter who you think they Reggie, are. Reggie, Tony, Gerald, and Herman. The four aliens <laughs> from Galupagors. <laughs> once he was on the ship the ship closed up sealed off entirely and made its way out of the atmosphere on its way to lanulos once again the air in the ship was very easy to breathe according to woodrow and he could not tell much difference between it and earth's atmosphere and he would say though uh he did not look at uh, his watch that the entire trip from earth to lanulos didn't take more than about 30 minutes of, of earth time he believes something like 30 minutes uh, they went directly to the mothership, which took them to Lanulos, much like last time. And as they neared the planet Lanulos, one of the men, Daryl, who was not exactly a doctor, but rather what they would call like a medic in the Air Force or Army, which I mean, I, I don't know the difference personally. You both know way more than I'll ever know. I really don't. Uh, you know, I, Daryl took him away, brought him into a room and gave him a shot in his right arm. He was then taken to a room, stripped naked completely and given a sort of antiseptic shower. Huh. It didn't take long to get his preparation over with, luckily. And at the time it was over, they were already entering at the atmosphere of Lanulos. So, yeah, kind of like normal vax decontamination prep procedures at like a hospital or kind of anywhere else. Um, and as they came down lower from the atmosphere to the ground of Lanulos, as that was rising up above them, they could see through the bottom of the ship by means of like some weird porthole that looked like a huge lens of an optical glass, according to Woody. Uh, as they descended even lower, they opened a huge metal door on the side of the ship and a sort of platform or runway slid and extended out of the ship about four feet from the doorway. And there was a guardrail completely around the platform. Andrew and his wife and several people, including, including Woody went out on this platform and they were watching, uh, watching Lanulos actually come up to meet them. Like, like just to give you another redescription, like it basically created a platform that they stood on while the ship was still descending down. Um, there was like I said, a guardrail around it and everything. And uh, as the, as Lanulos came up to meet them, he never in his life says he saw anything that looked so beautiful as the rolling hills and vast plains, the oceans and rivers, just the general rant landscape of Lanulos. And uh, he saw one place that was called Kumyala or the mountains of sand. This place looked to be nothing more than pure sand for hundreds of miles. They were huge mountains, bigger than anything that he ever saw on earth and a pure of made purely of sand. And injured said nothing lived in this place, but small reptiles and lizards that we, uh, that we on earth would re- refer them to as and only, and the only water they had was the dew they found in the morning or at night. So a desert, he sees a giant desert and has to describe it in a way that's fantastical, but it's like a giant desert with desert sand dunes that are the size of like the pyramids, but they're like sand, bro. And there's like these yeah. worms. 
And like, dude, no. like, there's this thing that like it makes your eyes blue if you like inhale a bunch of it. So yeah, like, I think it's the poop of an animal. Yeah, it's crazy. Hell yeah, the poop of a worm. Also, some guy becomes like half a worm. It's wild. After a while, it gets weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you only need to read the Can't first. Can't wait for the rest really, of those right? movies. <laughs> <laughs> when the ship finally officially landed. Injured Kimmy, Carl, and he left the ship together and went directly to Injured's home. And when he arrived there, he said that Injured had a beautiful home. As far as he could tell, it was made out of just ordinary brick like we have here on Earth. Just like a brick home. Like red bricks? Yeah, they have bricks. Like a man-made object. That's so annoying. Why would it be that? Why would they make... They're from Earth! Oh, boy. (laughs) The front part of the house faced the east and was made completely of glass. The sun, when it came up, shone directly on the front of Indrid's home, and they had draperies they could completely draw over the side of, uh, of the house at night. He continued to walk through this home and got to meet all of Indrid's children. His oldest son was 12 years old and named Connard. He was a very handsome boy, according to Woody, well-built, very pleasant with a warm smile on his face. And he was very excited at meeting an Earthman for the very first time, even though he had heard all about him from his father already. So, like, they, they come visit and then share tales, like, dude, I was at Earth. It's like if you... They if buy you, wings, they it's vibe his family. out. So, he, he would come home, see his family, and just tell them what he did on the No, I understand. Pops, it, have beers. <laughs> I'm just concerned for the people of this world, because mm-hmm. you know how there's always that one or two people that they're like, they go to India for a month and come back, and they're like, it's I feel so changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, my life is different. Do you feel like that's the case? Like, people come to earth and they're like it's so different there they're so like, their lives are so like when i come back yeah. here and i see the way we live like i can't even imagine you think there are people like that they come back with like a bracelet I'm sure the whole planet yeah. yeah a yeah. lot of the planet doesn't understand how earth even operates everybody on lanulus thinks we just blow each other up and there's not a lot known i mean that's, that's what people in europe think that, of america so what, like it's i mean it's kind yeah, of what we you know? do bro i know we're still very very uh territorial monkey like uh in a lot of ways or ape like my apologies uh, then his second son, nine years old, named Connor, came into the room. Also a very nice young boy. And then he had a daughter, five months old, who was, uh, this is the daughter, Kimmys, Kimmys, I believe, um, who was born shortly Kimmy after and Kimmys? Yeah. Kimmys. Kimmys. Oh Kimmy and Kimmys. <laughs> Kimmy and Kimmys. What? What's wrong? Are you okay? No, no, no. I'm, it's fine. It's, uh, you know what? If anything, it makes it more real. Because if it was another name, there was like Kimmy and Norborg. Norborg. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) Anyone anyone could make that up. But Kimmy and Kimmy's is so bad, it must be real. Kimmy, Kimmy, it has to be real. Tony. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tony and Daryl. And Daryl. Don't forget about (laughs) Tony and Daryl and Kimmy and Kimmy's on (laughs) Indrid's world. So after he entered the home and met his family, he was taken into the living room that he claims was furnished very tastefully in modern furniture, a lot like the furniture that you would see in Earth homes, and then taken into the kitchen slash dining room, kind of combined area, and the cook stove looked like a large metal box, and any part of the top of it could be heated for cooking by pressing a button, which just sounds like an electric stove to me. And yeah. I just don't understand the difference, and he doesn't really explain Maybe much else. Maybe they just else. didn't exist at the time, you know what I mean? I think electric stoves existed in 1967. I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. I'm, I'm a simple man. That's fair. I just tell the You're jokes. You're a simple man. You know? I'm making yeah. the jokes. Well, we appreciate that about you. Uh, Jesse, do you think electric stoves were around in the 60s? 
I have to believe yes. I have to I believe it. It feels like maybe no, though, right? Like, it's kind of a toughie. Well, I mean, I'm just going to um, use the you can tools look it up, we have available. Continuing, like, what the beyond the physical difference of it, the real difference is how the heat is generated. Like, unlike us, where we have a combustion with fire stoves or electric stoves where we heat Okay, oils. just like, heads up, by the way, the first electric range was 1892, so... Okay, you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So I'm happy to... You know what? I'm happy um, to be on that, in that world, you know? And now I know. <laughs> the difference is, they didn't power their stuff via, like, combustion engines or, like, uh, electricity. It was through the atomic power that they generated their heat, light, and cooking. It was atomic energy, is what they used. Uh, they were then shown through their bedrooms and the laundry room. And this, he said, was the first thing that completely mystified him. Not the food, not the fucking planet of Earth people that were people look like Earth people, not flying through space. The laundry room mystified Woody. What? There were hooks all over the laundry room and uh, suspended from the ceiling specifically. And injured's wife, Kimmy, told him that they were merely the that they merely hung the clothes that they wanted washed on those hooks. Then they closed the door, turned on a spray and would call it uh, that they called a detergent spray, which soaked all the clothes in detergent. And after they'd been soaked with the spray for a lo- for a period of time, they automatically turned off and just the clear water was turned on and they were rinsed thoroughly. He uh, then can uh, basically said that the clothes were clean when they were done and they were left in this room to dry and were ready to wear when taken out. Kimmy said there was no ironing necessary. What on earth? What? I don't understand. Wait, so is it robots? So what did, what did the work? There are hooks. So there are rooms where there are hooks. Yeah. They hook up all the clothes. They put all the clothes on, on the hooks, hooks, which by the way, on the hooks, like if you put something on a hook, it's going to have like the, the mark from where the hook. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, there are no, no like washing machines in there. The room then seals off and all the clothes that are hung are then sprayed with the detergent, then sprayed with the water and then are sat there to dry and are ready when they Yo, leave. that's not even washing. That's just you've got that's something not wet. efficient either. Yeah, you got to get the inside of the clothes. Yeah, that's, so, you that's know, terrible. Uh, that doesn't I'm do a so damn confu- thing. This feels, you know what? My theory is, is that Lanulose is an alternate universe. That's my only. That's, Even in an alternate universe, they know how to wash their clothes properly. It's just so. It's just so specifically just like us, but a little different in every case. Yeah. That it's just too weird to be like just another culture. <laughs> I kind of like that idea. Like it's not. He's not space traveling. He's changing realities briefly. Yeah, because otherwise, what the fuck are we talking about here? <laughs> a, a much nicer, weirder. They're Earth? like, I wasn't surprised at all by the furniture. <laughs> like no but he was surprised by the laundry yeah. room. uh so after he got the, the home tour he was officially taken out into the city or known as a gathering and the gatherings were just very simply numbered and the gathering that indrid lived in was n- simply named gathering number 27 so you know Sick, man. <laughs> that's just very simple Hell yeah and as they walked out to the edge of the roadway where the sidewalks met the road they saw that both the roadway and the sidewalks were moving and that there were two sidewalks running in opposite directions. They stepped on the sidewalk that went toward the center of the gathering and they simply just stood on the sidewalk and were carried quickly to the place where they wanted to go. That's that's like extremely uh, the, the Jetsons. Yeah, it's <laughs> like movable, like you just step on a moving sidewalk, get carried off where you want to go. Sounds kind of nice. The first stop they made, the first stop they made was at a store. And he would, uh, Woody goes on to say it was comparable to like one of a big department store. 
And as they walked through the store, Indrid laughed and said, I would not be able to do what I was planning to do. And he took me by, he took Woody rather by the hand. His wife, Kimmy, took the other hand and they led him through the door. I could go as slowly or as fast as he wanted to, but he had no chance to pick anything up and can assure us that if he could, he would have. So what Indrid was alluding to in that moment was apparently Woody was thinking about maybe grabbing something and hiding it and taking it home. Like as proof. And because they're telepathic, he was like, he don't do it, that you little he, bitch. Yeah. He can't do it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And then as he was going through the store, he was uh, moving so fast, he had no chance to pick anything up. And he goes on to say he desperately wanted to bring something with him desperately. And he'll tell you right now he got nothing. He really, really, really wanted to, though. I promise. Finky promise. He really wanted to. He saw all kinds of toys that were comparable to toys that children <laughs> play with on Earth. He saw cooking stoves that had been that like the one seen in Indrid's home, saw games of all kinds that were written and described in Lanu Lanulesian name. That's the name of the language, Lanulesian. And he couldn't read their writing well enough to tell what he was what it was saying, what he was seeing. And when Indrid led him out of there, he noticed the people were now beginning to travel more thickly on the sidewalks and were standing off the moving sidewalks, talking in groups of two or three or larger. And he was introduced to one group that had six people in it. The people on Lanulos are nudists, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Everybody on Lanulos is naked. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Was this something he knew? All, well, is he seeing this? Like, yep. He didn't know really beforehand. You imagine he must have seen them naked flying over the town the first time. All? Yeah. But now that he's like in the city, he's just like, oh, hey, and by the way, everyone's a nudist. Maybe you just couldn't believe it before. You know, maybe it just didn't sink in. How, yeah. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How does then That's probably why you does forgot. Kimmy and Kimis and Daryl and like, why are they in clothes? Well, they're going to Earth and Earth is not a nudist. Place. Modesty. Yeah. Modesty. Right, right, right. But like, but like his family, when they get back, they're like, so good to be home. And they just all strip down. If it's warm weather. Yes. They wear nothing in warm weather. They do have cold season. It's not winter. It's simply called cold. And what do they wear then? And you wear clothes during cold season, but you don't wear them during the warm season. <laughs> Man, I guess like what? getting ready for bikini season is like a real thing there. Like the people be stressing about that. Like, well, that's the thing. Everybody on Lanulos, according to Woody is like, like what take like uh, like fit and attractive apparently just everybody just looks uh, everyone i don't think there's got to be like one guy there's got to be at least yeah. one jesse there one jesse like, shit I'm yeah shit. like oh, i got a shit i got i'm gonna just eat a burger and like <laughs> oh fuck go watch tv give me a yeah, cow gonna... burger and some fucking fries yeah like there's got to be at least one jesse who doesn't give a shit <laughs> why is that jesse? i'm sure there's got to be one he lives oh, in the sand shit. dunes. He lives There's out in the sand bullshit. desert, oh, sipping the dew off the morning drops. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, as he approached this pack of six nudists, a pack, a pack of nudists. I, I, I call pack. it a pack. That's me. That's my terminology for it. Right, right, right. But it's a good terminology. A pack of nudists. Thank you, thank you. Uh, he guesses that he must have looked really strange because he was the only one that was completely dressed. And as they saw him and he got closer, they began to draw back and gazed at him, though, in like a weird, frightened way. But Indrid, of course, stepped in and almost just continuously tell, told them all about him. He used telepathy in the Lanulesian language verbally and speaking and talking to people. So he's using like a combo of telepathy and Lanulesian language uh, to speak with the, the people on the planet, which I don't know if that would be more effective. 
I mean, I guess if your brain is so highly evolved, you can take in both at the same time, but I feel like I would only be able to focus on yeah, one. I have no idea. It's weird to me. <laughs> and as he would continue to talk, uh, obviously Woody couldn't ex- uh, understand anything that he was saying. So he mostly used mental telepathy so that uh, Woody could understand. And he explained to the people about him. And some of them did actually come up and shake hands with him and would tell him they were glad to meet him, but that he was not what they expected an Earthman to look like. And after they had met several groups of people and always they were met with the same kind of trepidation and fear, they went into another store and a comfort station or what we call a bathroom. He went into a bathroom. They call it a comfort station. Simple as that. Yeah. Carl Ardo and Indrid went into the restroom with him and asked him if I asked them. uh, He asked him if he would disrobe. They asked uh, basically like, hey, you mind getting naked and, you know, kind of just like blending in with the people. And, uh, Woody was like, he said before that Lanulos, that on Lanulos, he'd never seen an overweight person or anyone that was underweight. And he was a little overweight and he was really self-conscious that people were going to look at him and, and laugh. Um, but Indrid said, don't, th- nobody's going to do that. No one's that mean. Like, that oh yeah, no, they'll just be like, oh, all Earth people look like that. Don't worry. Plus, you know, it's an alien society system. You at least one, like, you know, you're going to get some. There's oh, at least one person shit. that's like. Like, you know what? I bang at Earthling. Just like, uh, you know, if I'm going to say I bang an alien, every, I, alien probably, every alien race has their own Mathis. Yeah. There's one guy Why who's like, I don't care what they look like. Alien I do races it. just all meet each other. We could just satisfy everybody's urges all at once. Yeah, exactly. See, thank you. That's all we need. Yeah. Uh, after he got naked and he did get naked, uh, they went walking a bit and eventually they kind of came across. Yo, all the bits the uh, same? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't say specifically, so I imagine. So how does he yes. even know that they're naked if they had to have the same bits? True, and remember, they are from Earth, so they must be all right. All similar. Right. Uh, as they were walking and exploring the gathering, they met another group of people that were working on a lawn. They were raking the lawn, straightening a, pa- a, a pulling fence, painting it uh, the same as we do on Earth. And there was a young girl, about 18 or 19, he said, who told her him that she had always thought that the people of Earth were very, quote unquote, clan-ish. What does that mean? Which is not wrong. Like clan. Like we very, we're very, yeah, we're very clan-ish. Like tribal? You, I would say countries are like clans where we kind of fight for territory the sure. same way clans would back in the day. We're just thousands and millions of people now okay. in cell. And she goes on to say that she thought that you fought continuously amongst yourselves. She just thought you just fought all the time. That's all Earthlings did was fight constantly. She's not wrong. Yeah, I guess. She's totally like, wrong. Go on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, true. Uh, yeah, we just take it on to social media now. Um, and th- basically, she continues to explain that the reason most people on Lanulos fear Earthlings is for that very reason. They all think that we're at war all the time. And that's very true and to some degree. Um, and she said the girl told him that the only friends she thought that we had on Earth we're just other family or of our own clan. She didn't know we had friends outside in the intergalactic sphere. We don't, mind you, but, you know, uh, we also can have friends across the country in different clans. She didn't know that they had whole groups in towns, whole countries that live together in peace. And she was very surprised when she saw the shock that he received when she told him how her people thought we lived on Earth. Like, he was just like, whoa, that's, that's barbaric. We're like only a quarter as barbaric as that. She, he did try to tell her exactly how they lived and explain it to her and explain to her the way of war and that different countries were at war. But to them, this was all extremely difficult to comprehend. And they could not understand it at all because they said all people everywhere are brothers and sisters. 
And as he said before, these people did not even know how to or understand the word hate. They genuinely just don't have a word for it in their language and their people. It's just not part of their vocabulary. They have no idea what it means. Um, after that little kind of gathering and, and meeting, he was taken outside of the gathering and into a factory. And this factory was similar to a factory that he himself had worked in. And it was a steel factory where they were making steel the same we do on Earth. What? They were melting their ore, turning into metal. Their furnaces were very hot. He didn't know how they were heated, but if, if anything like the stove, probably atomic. And the people in these factories that worked up close to the heat did wear heavy clothing for protection. And he remembered that uh, when he worked in the factory, that he got very dirty every day. And the people here did as well, he noted, and that they had uh, to take a shower every night before leaving the job. These people just had a huge pool that ran completely around the outside of the plant. And after work, all the people went out and bathed in the pools. They had streams or jets, as they call them, of water that came down from just regular shower heads into the stream where they could lather with soap and then washed and rinse themselves clean. It looked, according to Woody, it looked like a very nice way to get rid of the day's grime and dirt. Okay. So, you know, it's like, again, like you said, Alex, it's like, it's just similar enough to what we do, but slightly like, more yeah, like You have to know earth culture to understand this culture. Right, exactly. But it's weird that it's earth, like. I know. Like if it's supposed to be that they the timeline split where they went off thousands and thousands of, maybe millions of years ago who knows how long ago uh, they're still so very similar to current modern day Earth culture. Yeah, yeah, no, there is a lot of similarities there. Maybe too many. Like they're using electric stoves, <laughs> like atomic stoves, Jesse. Yeah, okay, atomic still it's electric powered <laughs> atomic stoves. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's exactly though. That's the thing is like it's so weirdly similar. That it's it. I don't know. It just. I don't know if it gives me like red flag or if it's more believable because it's similar. I feel like it's more of a. It's harder for me you to. You have believe to take personally. the alternate reality option to make it believable again. I, I. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think you're right. I think you have to really do. That. I, I know it's not necessarily on the table, but in Alex's world, it totally is. Patreon.com/slash/chillmanipod. <laughs> Continuing on, he saw other things that he could not understand after, even after they explained to him how they wa- worked, like automobiles or air cars, as they called them, which is so unoriginal, just calling their vehicles air cars. Uh, they had no wheels. They traveled over culverts or ditches or long troughs in the ground. These cars traveled approximately 10 to 12 inches above these troughs and were powered by nothing but the air. They were held in the air by jets of air from the bottom of these troughs, but their forward motion was produced by jets of air from the car itself. They had all sizes of cars. He saw some that would only hold one person, some for two, and some three, four, six, and, and you know, goes on and on. They had huge transporters, buses. They all traveled at any speed they wished to go. And w- eventually they left Gathering 27 and went to Gathering 28, which was about 30 miles from where they were, which only took them 10 to 12 minutes to make in one of these cars, a a trip to make one of these cars. And here is one of my favorite bits of his experience because here he gets to meet another people of Earth that did take his offer to move to Lanulos. So as they were coming back from making an inspection of Gathering 28, you know, checking out more sites, he was asked if he wanted to meet a family from Earth that was taken directly from Earth to Lanulos 40 years ago and had made their home there. 
And of course, he told Indrid that, uh, yes, he would love to meet this family and see what it was like. And so he was taken to them where they lived on a little farm. And he was introduced to John and Carolyn Peterson from Acapulco, Mexico. These people looked to be somewhere 50 to 55 years old. They were spry, very active. And when he went up to their place, they were playing a game that he would say is very much like what looks like tennis. They sound like vacation friends. Yes! They do. Like, like, what the fuck? Yes. like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so he went up and talked to them. They told him how long they'd been there, how much they liked it. He asked John Peterson how old he was, and he told him that he was 90 years old. Remind, remember, they looked like they were only 50 to 55. I'm 9 million years old. 90 million. And his wife was 85. He couldn't, Woody couldn't get over how happy these people looked and how content they were. They probably have universal health care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They absolutely do. Uh, they got to raise seven children on the planet, were very happy and had no desire to go back to Earth. And after he talked to the Petersons, he was taken back to injured cold home and from there to the ship where he eventually would make his way back to Earth between some time of 9, p- 9 and 10 p.m. the night that he left. And when he came back to Earth, Landing very close to Parkersburg, where he was met by Clinnell in the little blue Volkswagen. He was then taken to his truck that was parked back in Parkersburg, directly across the street from the U.S. post office, where it was the least suspicious, apparently. (laughs) And after uh, he left Clinnell and got to his truck, he simply got into his truck and for about 10 to 15 minutes just vibed out because he was no, he was trembling. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> which again is a weird very believable kind of like i mean if okay detail this doesn't sound like a real story however if this happened to me if yeah, this happened to me and i was just dropped back off in my truck yes i would maybe take a moment to myself because i imagine if he's there it's probably all like compartmentalized in the moment it's hard to kind of understand what's happening and then you get back to your tr- truck and your brain just starts being like, what the fuck did you just do? And so for 15 minutes, he just trembled, trying to regain his composure so he could just drive safely. That's how nervous he says he was like, it just fucking shocked him, um, which is, again, a fascinating little, little detail. Uh, but from there, the people of Lanulos gave him the highest hope that the people of Earth could eventually become as peaceful and loving as the Lanulos people seem to be. And he didn't know whether he would go to Lanulos to live or not. Uh, he thought about it for a little bit, but at the end of the day, he decided he, while he really did have the temptation to go live on Lanulos, he decided he could not go because he decided that he would be of much more use here on earth, trying to spread the word of these people. And they mean us no harm in any way. They have a doctrine of life that they say can teach us very short. They can teach us very shortly if they could land among us to teach our officials and our people their way of life. Like he feels like he has an important role to play here. Unfortunately, as we now know, in 2023, he made zero impact on the world um, and probably should have taken the Lanulos offer because uh, everything he did uh, after this really didn't have any impact. Again, in 1974, when this book was written for decades, there was only six copies ever printed. It was, it didn't make a big splash. Yeah. Yeah. No, no interest. The only thing that he got was harassed by people to see UFOs in his yard. Um, regardless, uh, little other details left out, uh, just about what Lanulos is like as we, as we depart Lanulos. Um, they're mostly happy. The people are all pretty happy there. Their way of life is completely different in that they don't have the difficulty of understanding one another as we do due to their ability to use telepathy. And so there is very little quarreling or bickering among them. 
There's never any lack of something to do in the way of entertainment or just to keep busy. And each and every person on that planet has a kind of job. There are so many hours of work or of rest of play that every family has a ton of hours of ex- to exercise how they wish every day. They have sports just about every kind that we also enjoy. Swimming is the most popular sport for them. And most families have an indoor swimming pool in their home for winter swimming. They have similar spectator sports such as baseball. Because it gets cold in the winter. Is that why? Yeah, it gets cold in the winter. So, you know, I can't go out there. Uh, they have similar spectator sports like baseball, basketball, football. But in their baseball, they use a bigger ball and a flat bat. And their football is only touch football as our small as their smaller children also play. This is an alternate universe. This is not an alien world. This is like a branched Kang timeline. Yeah, this is wrong. Uh, They also play tennis and volleyball and their winter sports include ice skating, sledding, skiing and ice fishing, just like us. Archery is also a popular sport, but only for target sport. They're not allowed to hunt for game. Uh, only for just the sport of it. What is? Hold on. While we're talking about game, flora fauna. We talked about how there's desert mountains and like cool. Like, what's going on with the rest of this world? Are the, what do the animals look like? Do we have any information on that? He only ever really says that the animals of Lanulos look like kind of like Earth animals, but not quite. He doesn't go into detail. Right. It's like a duck, but blue. Yeah, maybe. Mm, maybe. It's like, it's, it's a, like, it's like a horse, but it's also kind of like a little hairier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. Instead of a like, the pack animals are actually lizard creatures. It's and, real stuff. Uh, yeah, it. they ride dogs instead of horses. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just like that. Exactly. Um, and with the whole not hunting, it's not that they don't eat meat, but the meat they eat is all just domesticated meat. So they don't like they kind of raise it themselves. They don't hunt in the wild. In warm weather, they don't wear clothing at all, except for formal gatherings and dancing. That's when you wear clothes. I don't know why. Dancing is a part of that, but it is. Uh, And he asked how come they go nude and got the same answer that nudists on Earth give, (laughs) he said. He said, uh, they said God made them the way they are and that they're not ashamed of their bodies. All right. Cool. Pretty simple. Uh, when he was there, he went, uh, he went as they did was without, uh, and, and that fear of being like laughed at quickly dissipated. And he was very comfortable being naked there the whole time. And the life expectancy of people on Lanulos is also much further than ours. They live anywhere between 125 to 175 years before they pass of old age. So they're a much healthier, I guess, world, uh, than we are. Uh, the thing that impressed him the most though, was their monetary system. Although everyone works that is able to work. Everyone is paid, not according to his or her skill, but rather according to the size of their family and needs. Interesting. They are given what they are, are called script or credits. And when they buy something, they write the article d- uh, on the credit or script and give it to the clerk in the store where it's kept for inventory purposes only so that they know what to replace. No one ever has to live in want. One can have all the credits they need. And he asked them if there was a uh, and he asked them if this was like a co- communistic way of life. And they said, no, it was the free will of the people that he know uh, what he knew by actual experience that they are truly a classless race of people. The top man in the guiding council is considered no better than the man who digs ditches. So, you know, very all for one peaceful it does sound very communist in a lot of ways, um, but for whatever, it just works here. And the people believe in this way of life that they live so much that the, that just kind of goes smoothly and they have one in the same belief in God. So everybody worships together. 
They, uh, he actually got to attend one of their worship services where they sang two hymns, then kneeled or sat to thank God for their way of life and his blessing upon them. And then they asked for guidance and protection from evil. And he said he could actually feel the presence of God in their midst. There was no long drawn out sermon, just thanks for what he had done. And they asked for his continued help and blessing from God. And they were on their way, which listen, I wish that's what my religious experience growing up was like, where uh, like a mass is you go in for 10 minutes, like, thank you, Jesus. And you have a prayer and then you just fucking leave at this meeting. His whole concept of love changed. He realized for the very first time what the commandment, love thy neighbor truly meant from his earliest childhood to their, from their earliest childhood to their children, they're all taught God's love and that they should obey his will. As children grow older, seeing and living in the true Christian home. And this is what I say is that, but this is where this is Woodrow's impression of their religion. Cause they never, they never say Christian. They never say any of the stuff. The only thing they say, you think he related it to himself because it was like psychic maybe, or it's just, it might, my guess is like, it's the closest thing. I mean, he heard the word God and they, he saw they had a sort of mass and then kind of just like, I think, interpreted that through his own Christian lens. Um, again, taking this as if it were real. Uh, and because, again, the way they talk about it, like they're a very like sex positive community, too. He talks about how God doesn't like God didn't care. He made your bodies the way they are. If fucking it feels good. And you want to do it, do it like it doesn't matter. Like, that's just how it is. And uh, that's not quite the Christian way of looking at things. So it's definitely not fully aligned um, however, uh, that's why I think it's just, it's his weird interpretation, which again, if he's making this up is kind of strange that he's speaking on one side being like, they're just saying God and all this stuff. But now on his side, he's like, it reminds me of Christian stuff right. at home. It's not, it doesn't line up perfectly. And there is a little disagreement there. It's interesting. Um, the people that on Lanulos don't believe that they're perfect, but they do believe that they're on the right road and will eventually live with God. They believe in reincarnation, but, but which is not a Christian, not thing. Judeo-Christian God, then is what you're saying? No, because they believe in reincarnation, sure, 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 sure. like all that stuff. Uh, and they say it's basically that's reincarnation is how they reach will that how eventually people reach perfection. And that is much closer to like uh, East religions of the East on, on, on Earth here, where you see like the idea of constantly um you know, reincarnating until you reach a perfect form and move on kind of Buddhism, I think is kind of similar to that and stuff. Uh, and even some of the other, like the idea of just trying to raise your consciousness through reincarnation. Sure. Again, it's not Christian at all, but he talks about it. Um, their children start school when they reach the age of understanding, whatever the fuck that means and go until they become 28 years of age or until they reach the highest level of learning. The love of God is taught all through their school. And at graduation, each and every one is allowed to pick his or her own job. And if they later become dissatisfied, they can just simply change jobs. The guiding council and everyone works for the happiness of the people first and foremost, which reminds me of that scene in B movie where at the end he graduates and he gets to choose where he wants to go work. That's what it reminds you of. So Mathis has seen the B movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we learned a lot right there. Okay. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And again, he goes on to say, just like because of these people that have to, they have telepathy, their marital standards are even higher than ours. That if two people find that they're not compatible, they're just allowed to separate and remarry if they want to. It's not a fucking big to do. And in, incompatibility is the only grounds for divorce. And the separation must be agreeable to the parents of both the husband and wife, as well as the guiding counsel. The children are taught in school to respect sex and marriage 
as a normal and natural way of life, and that uh, sex in general is not something to be looked down upon. Therefore, they do not have any problems with promiscuity, which has been a great problem on Earth since the very beginning of time, according to Christian, the Christian lens, uh, or the religious lens. I don't want to just say Christian. A lot of religions are, are very anti-sex. Um, they do not have strict birth control there because they realize the danger uh, of overpopulation on their own. And each family is allowed to only bear two children, but their families are not limited because they can adopt as many children as they want. They do have orphans for people uh, because people do die and pass on sometimes, you know, accidentally. Uh, and as they say, the, they have accidents that result in death like us and leaving these kids without parents. The orphanages are run by the guiding council and are very seldom overcrowded because of the many people adopting to make larger families. Because, again, you get as many credits as you need for the size of your family. He actually visited one of the orphanages and was surprised to see almost as many workers as there were children. They explained that all children need love and had to be shown that they were both loved and needed. And by having so many dedicated workers, no child was ever neglected. They lived as though they were in their own homes and he never saw a child over seven years of age in the home because they were all adopted. Do you think it's like a manifesto and that their orphanages are truly a home and always for these children without parents. Do you think it's like a political manifesto kind of too about how we should be living? Do you think like, I mean, that's what I would imagine uh, this whole scenario yeah. is. His life this is like yeah, utopia. Yeah, we can do better. Maybe. Yeah. No, this is real. This is very, very, very real. I'm going to show you real quick. Another photo of a scout ship from Lanulos and a ship from Cerebus, that friend of his, remember that planet that he was from? This is one of their ships, too. Uh, and tell me, it just looks pretty much like a flying I mean, saucer. It does. It's got a lot of bits hanging off of it that seem unnecessary. That's the scouting ship from Lanulos. That's the it, ship from Cerebus. It looks like, like, yeah, like a flying saucer, but kind of like a little old timer, like if it was made of like knight's armor it's like steampunk flying saucer kind of yeah no i mean it's just very of the time you know like it does kind of seem to fit the 60s very very well so he but he eventually got to go back home and was left home and didn't really go back to lanulos for quite some time uh in this time however he started meeting a ton of different people he one had a, a dude came over and kind of became his friend just because he kept showing up at the house to look for ufos and got the talking over time and became friends. And that friend uh, basically asked where he could see the UFOs. He told him where he sees them most often. And he would go out there every night until that person also apparently met injured cold and went to Lanulos. He saw everything in Lanulos that, he, that uh, this guy did. Friendship with Woodrow ended. This guy's my new best friend. More like friendship with Woodrow upgraded to friendship with injured cold. Because I would go to, I would ditch my friend, I wow. would get you guys. I'm sorry. I love wow. you a lot. For Indrid? But like, Seriously? If Indrid like, showed up, was like, we need to go to Lanulos. Goodbye. Wow. Damn. All right. Well, shit. Man, I'm sorry, okay. man. No, I'm that's very, fine. Very, I very respect sorry. it. Honestly, I do. <laughs> it's not like you're, this is a sudden reveal. Like, this is, I've known this. Yeah. You know, I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad you actually understand. I want to also show you the control panels from the ships. So just so you guys know, he's showing us like pages from the book. That looks like straight out of a recording studio. I don't even know what to say about that. Wait, so, all right, qu genuine. So are those drawings or is yeah, that photos? Yeah, what is that? Uh, I, these are drawings. Okay, good. Then that's So fine. what were the... He did not take any pictures of the ship. Okay, so the rules of this are kind of like, you got to believe it on faith. Like, like most. They said, yep. they said, don't take anything 
Don't, like, you can't take photos, you can't do anything, but you can draw it all and talk about it all you want. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Remember, Indrid, when on his first visit in episode one, Indrid told him to go report it to the local authorities. Sure. That he had this experience. Um, this is why I, I say, like, the second half, I, I wonder, this is just Mathis in his alien mode, I wonder if the first part of the story might be true to some degree. Not everything, but the fact that some strange man walked up to him he had this weird conversation other people saw him just got again fascinated. we know he reported the sightings to the police we know other people reported seeing similar things to the police all that is like on record but then when we go to indrid starting to show up on his porch as like a buddy that's yeah that's when things get a little bit like becomes a fantasy tale like a like a strap extrapolation from like one weird thing yeah. right exactly and like, here's the well, last picture I'll show you. And this is the picture of like how the power supply for the ship looks. It looks like the freaking flux capacitor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It looks like the flux capacitor. Holy really shit. Does. You're right. It's exactly what it looks like. Um, but it's at this point, as he's returned back from Lanulos at this point, his main story and his trips and his experiences with Indrid don't cease, but the newness and like the exciting stuff from those trips sort of dissipates at this point. Dear old Woodrow becomes kind of like, I don't want to call him a preacher because he's not preaching religion, but he's very much trying to preach that these things are real, they're here, they're peaceful, and if we just acknowledge it and let them land openly without trying to shoot at them and stuff, our ways of life can change. He goes on to to speak with other people. Like I said, people become his friends. He really tries to spread the message as best he can to minimal and no success to the best of his ability. Um, In fact, he kind of like, more or less like his, his, his tales of attempting stopped in around 1968. And, uh, after that, um, it wasn't until 74 when Keel showed up for remember the cat with wings. And then it became Mothman yeah. that the story, uh, kind of got a little bit because he met with Keel and told, cause he had, I think he had heard, um, Keel had heard his story in passing, uh, and wanted to meet up with him and did and kind of like got the whole thing. And they met up and had multiple stories and whatever. Um, you know, he goes on to talk about like the, uh, the the government's handling of it all. He talks about in 1966 of October that the Secretary of Defense announced that the Air Force had selected Dr. Edward U. Condon of the University of Colorado for researching UFOs and aerial phenomena. The announcement was welcome news both to the believers and unbelievers and even NICAP, which I was corrected, even though it says National Institute for whatever, whatever, NICAP, not a government program, private, private. It's not government. It sounds government, looks government, not government. Interesting. NICAP offered cautious support and offered their nationwide system of gathering information on new sightings. Condon, who was 64 years old at the time, was a distinguished physicist, uh, looked and believed to be a good choice for the job. But then to start off his investigating team, four out of the first five men selected were actually just psychologists. So when he was building the team, uh, he like majority of them were just psychologists. He promised that he would later balance out the team, and he did to a certain extent later on in the investigation, but never really much. And from the very beginning, there was strife and bickering in this group of of people. Uh, Right at the very beginning, Robert J. Lau, project coordinator and first man in in, in operations study group, was quoted in the Denver Post as saying that the UFO project, quote, comes pretty close to the criteria of non-acceptability as a university function, which is like, you know, not surprising. Um, Then... We get the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Alan J. J. Allen Hynek, 
chairman of the Department of Astronomy of Northwestern University and one of the very few scientists in the country who has given UFOs serious study, gave the staff the background information that he had acquired in his 20 years as a scientific consultant for the Air Force. Because Remember, Hynek worked directly was hired by the government um, as like a lead in one of these like blue book or researcher in one of these like blue book type projects. And his job was to try and disprove, find logical reasons. And while he was able to do so for most of them, he was still left with things that weren't enough that made him start to believe that the UFO phenomena was real. Later, distinguished investigators such as Major Kehoe and Richard Hall from NICAP, Major Hector Quintanilla of the Air Force Study Group, and Dr. James McDonald, senior physicist at the Institute of Atmospheric Physics and professor in the Department of Meteorology at the University of Arizona, addressed the group. And after examining hundreds of well-documented reports of sightings by military and airplane pilots, radar operators, police, technical observers, and articulate rational laymen, McDonald rejected as highly unlikely such conventional explanations for UFOs as ball lightning, plasma, uh, hallucinations, hoaxes, and misinterpretations of natural phenomena. He concluded that, quote, only abysmally limited scientific competence has been brought to the study of UFOs within Air Force circles in the past 15 years. Unfortunately, during all this time, the scientific community and the public were repeatedly assured that substantial scientific talent was being used, which ended up, like you said, what ended up not being true. The first major turbulence in the new project came early in February 1967. Condon, burdened by the heavy responsibility in many public and educational projects, could not spend a ton of time in the project offices working on the UFO thing. Lowe assumed the responsibility for most of the decision making, and on January 25th, Condon, known for his breezy anecdotal style, spoke before a chapter of Sigma 11, the honorary scientific fraternity. The Almira New York Star Gazette reported, quote, unidentified flying objects are not the business of the Air Force. End of quote. Dr. Edward U. Condon said there on Wednesday night, and Dr. Condon left no doubt as to his personal sentiments on the matter, saying, quote, it is my inclination right now to recommend that the government get out of of this business. My attitude right now is that there is nothing to it. With a smile, he added, but I'm not supposed to reach a conclusion for another year. Condon was also quoted saying, quote, what we're always reduced to is interviewing persons who claim they've had some kind of experience. I don't know of any cases where the phenomenon was still there after the person reports it. And it seems odd that these people always seem to wait until they get home before they report what they saw. That to me rings as disingenuous because this is fucking 1967. You don't have a cell phone. If something zips over your car, you kind of have to wait till you get to a phone to report it. And if you're getting abducted, you can't quite ab- report it mid abduction. That's true. So I don't understand the point of that quote. That quote feels like pointless as a, just, just there to just kind of discredit people. Am I wrong? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think it just depends on what, how you interpret it. Right. Like if this was 2023 and he said, it seems odd that these people always seem to wait to get home. Then I could agree with him because they, people have fucking cell phones. There's no excuse. But this is 1967. I don't understand what I mean, you can still make you can still make a pretty big drive to the cop. Yeah, you can still make a pretty big splash. Sure. And unless you would were like Woodrow and shaking and trembling. That's true. Scared as shit. That's true. I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you still got to interpret it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I'm just I'm I'm just back and forth a little bit. So Kehoe said he goes on to say that Kehoe knew of cases where the phenomenon was still there after the person reported it and where the observer didn't wait to get home to report it. And Kehoe knew at this time that Dr. Condon had not personally investigated, nor had any members of the staff completed any meaningful research, 
So he admitted that the project was only three months old, but told David Saunders, a key staff member, quote, I'm shocked by his statements. Is this a scientific investigation or isn't it? Yeah. So this guy basically went out and was like, nothing shows scientific evidence of UFOs. And then people who were working on the project is like, this dude's never here. He never sees anything. And he's just making these comments. And remember, he even said to those people, I'm not supposed to come up with an answer for another year anyway, like right. spoiling that he already just already thinks it's going to be a no. Um, and that's that's the kind of shit that makes this investigation, even back in the 60s, so infuriating, because even within these government sanctioned teams, people are saying different things. Uh, and this was just a sample of the bickering that was going on among their top scientists who were assir- assigned to investigate uh, the unidentified flying objects. Dr. Condon stated in the beginning that he did not believe this was the business of the Air Force. A man that is already prejudiced against UFOs who refuses to have an open mind in the matter has shown by his actions that his talk that he is not the man for this job. And I actually disagree with Woodrow here. I think it's important to have in your team somebody who doesn't believe or somebody who is insanely skeptical. I mean, that was who Heineck was and what his job was when he first started. And it was through the evidence that he slowly changed his mind. I think having nobody there to push back and make you feel, you know, double to second guess um, just means you're going to make an echo chamber. You know, it's just going to be an echo chamber very quickly. And like, as much as I love going back and forth with Jesse, it's very good that he's here to do that. Like you need those, those people, even if he's coming from a place of bad faith, I'm not saying you are, but this guy, uh, I think there's still value in that. I still think there's value in that uh, to, to really look for the evidence and really make sure what you're saying, you know, is double, triple, quadruple checked. The report of the full investigation was to complete, be completed by the, this sound familiar, by the way, there's going to be a report yeah. for the public at the end. And this is, they were supposed to get it at the end of 1967. And that, guess what didn't happen? A report was never released at the end of 1967. Yeah. And that entire, I mean, and think, look, listen to how little these guys were funded. The, the tax dollars spent for this team was only 500,000 tax dollars. That's it. For 1967, I know that's probably equates to a couple million, but that's still not a lot. That's very little resources for a team to kind of do research. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they never got a fucking report, which sounds just like the shit that's happening today. And uh, obviously, Woodrow believes that the Air Force is like knows that UFOs are real and whatnot because, you know, he believes, you know, quote unquote, Ben Delanulos and stuff. Um, and he, he's even seen space people that have told him that only two of their crafts have been subjected to close examination and on the outside only that the air force has not been able to burn cut or blast an opening into one of their craft. There have also been rumors of craft craft crashed spacecraft where bodies were found with the craft. And while Woodrow believes this part, uh, to some degree, he does know of some people who have been injured or even killed on earth and were taken to their home immediately before they were discovered by our people. So like we've killed aliens who have crash landed here, you know, and he basically goes on to say, the very end of the book is is more or less kind of open-ended because again this was written in, in the 60s and 70s he's more or less at the at the cusp of beginning his journey still and he's very hopeful that he will be able to prove that ufos are real the government will come clean and that we will actually see the aliens and lanulosians land on our planet in his lifetime that peace will come to earth and that we will begin to adopt the lifestyle similar to that that he saw on the planet of Lanulos. As we all know, none of that happened. Lanulos people did not land. Saturn's ring is not a rainbow. Allegedly. And allegedly. 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 And while uh, absolutely I can I can understand and side with him on the frustrations of the government program, even in the 60s, you know, coming together and then nothing happening. Um, I, I do wonder 
like I'm, I'm torn. I don't think a majority of this is real. I do not think a majority of what he said was true, but there's a, the first quarter of the story where the first encounter happens is the only part that I'm like, maybe, and that maybe he thought he needed to just keep expanding on it. So people would believe him more and more things kept happening to him. So he had more and more things to, to tell people, how could you not believe him? But to me, you know, that always just does the opposite of what you hope it's going to do. And uh, whether this is true, this true story, any part of the story is true or not. What we do know is that a lot of his story about Lanulos, the things he saw on the way, just don't seem to hold up to what we know now as scientific fact. Any sort of simple questioning or any sort of logical test. Yeah. The only thing he asked and like got tried to get explained to him really was the telepathy. And he did a pretty piss poor job at explaining it. But I guess, I mean, I probably would have a hard time explaining it too. Um, beyond that, yeah, he never asks about how certain things work, or at least never goes into detail. Uh, he, you know, he did try to steal something, quote unquote, but that was it. Yeah, um, it's a fascinating story and one that sticks out, not because of the just the fantastical aspects of it. There are so many alien abduction stories that have weird, fantastical aspects. But in a in a world at the time that was filled with very similar gray style abductions, this one stands out among the rest. Um, because again, keep in mind. This is before like things are, you know, uh, I don't think we've seen Betty and Barney Hill on TV yet. Like that still hasn't really happened or has become massively public knowledge yet at the time of this happening. But it's just an interesting, unique case that I think if true, if it was the beginning of it and leaves you with more questions and answers anyway, I don't know if Lanulos is a nudist planet filled with hippies and a space, an earth couple that are in their nineties playing tennis on their front lawn. I just don't know if that's true. <laughs> I just don't know if that like. Uh, Stepford Wives style of life is real. Um, but that's it, boys. That's where we leave. <sighs> the story of Injured Cold, a true deep dive into who this intergalactic man of mystery it's was. It's a Mothman game jack, bro. It's so you weird. Know, I'm not going to lie. I tried to release my thoughts to Injured Cold into space and hoping I would, you know, yeah. be like, hey, you want to go to Lanolos? We all did, you know? We all, we've all tried. I tried. Yeah, I tried, I and it. he didn't show up. So maybe he's dead. Injured Cold died? died? That could be it. Decades. What a it's sad ending. Not out there. Maybe they'll live to 125 to 175. Yeah. He came back. He came back to see his friend. Shot him down. Yep, we shot him down. Saddest tale. Yeah, dude. It's yeah. like a folk song. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Chilunati Pod. Patreon.com slash Chilunati Pod. Please come see us in Los Angeles if you got nothing to do on October 15th. We'll be there at tomorrow. the Grand Ballroom tomorrow night. Go get, go get it. Go have it. And, 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 and. Oh, we got to go do a mini-sode. That's what I want yeah. to say. We got to go do a mini-sode. Hey, oh, and also buy merch, guys. I know, like, I never say it, but go to theyeti.com slash Illuminati. We got so much shit up there that's coming and going. Our new t-shirt, it just became a poster, and we're about to have a fucking collectible coin just for the Get Illuminati. ready for the coin. Coin. Soon. I can't Coin wait. I can't wait. Coin drop. And it is not just going to be a plain, boring gold coin. There's going to be some unique Chill coin, big and drops. a little bit of a fun thing. Big drops. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting us here and at patreon.com slash Illuminati pod. We love you. We appreciate you. And we'll see you later. Goodbye. Bye. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside. And after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside. She's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky. Yeah!